Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to the Environmental Justice Report with me, your host, Janine Moloff. Well, tonight, I have a pretty interesting report. It's, it's pretty consistent with a lot of the shows we've been doing recently. Uh, and that is basically dealing with the issues of not only governmental accountability, but corporate accountability. You know, we always hear from the one percenters how they believe in rule of law. Well, they might believe in it, but they don't believe in actually having that same rule of law apply equally to them and to their corporate coffers as it does to the average, you know, Joe, Joe and Jane Schmo. It just doesn't. And tonight, again, because this is an environmental show and we deal with issues of environmental justice or environmental injustice, um, we're continuing that trend. We're talking about what we're calling greenwashing, corporate greenwashing specifically. And if you saw our little advert, you saw the ad, and it said very simply, corporate greenwashing is fraud. I don't know how to make it any plainer. And we made that statement because corporate greenwashing is fraud. There's no... There's no way to, uh, you know, try and 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 spin this. It, it's just plain unvarnished truth. So this week, I I found some information from again a wonderful source, Desmog. If you ever get a chance to check them out, Desmog is one of those groups that does phenomenal environmental reporting along with Inside Climate News and Earth Science, and they each have a slightly different slant. But tonight, I'm going to discuss the smog coverage uh, regarding corporate greenwashing. Now, in short, greenwashing is premeditated fraud. Now, some may call it misinformation, which, let's face it, the essential element of fraud is misinformation. Premeditated fraud is, and it has always been, a criminal act. Your corporations are permitted a blank check on this. This has to stop. And then in our environmental heroes, zeros, and villains, we're going to discuss the sentencing of Stephen Donzinger, the attorney who won a case against Chevron, and for his stupendous work alongside uh, another host of, of uh, attorneys, he not only was disbarred, but then he was uh, really, he was charged with contempt, criminal contempt of court, which was nonsense. And we're going to specifically look at the judge in that sentencing and in that, that contempt case. Her name is Judge Loretta Presta. She and her husband both are together filthy rich. And um, I mean, they're criminals necessarily, but... Um, she is a main fixture in the Federalist Society, and she has some conflicts of interest, you know, to the point where she should have recused herself from actually ruling and overseeing that Don, that case against Donzinger. So let's go. Let's move into it. So the mainstream media, in other words, corporate-owned, these days they love their euphemisms. You know, instead of calling out the blatant lies of corporate entities, they label those same blatant lies as misinformation. Now, the, the 
difference is that someone mysteriously misspoke as opposed to presenting, preparing and presenting a professionally packaged group of lies. The alliteration was not intended there. As some unfortunate mistake, instead of the premeditated act, pre, instead of the premeditated act, those lies really were. And you have to remember, premeditated uh, misinformation is one of the elements of a deliberate premeditated fraud. And this fraud is specifically engineered to mitigate truths which would cost the 1% in the pocketbook. It's really that simple. Um, and the mainstream media goes along with it. Instead of calling out these corporations for greenwashing and for and calling greenwashing what it is, which is a polite way of saying they are working to misrepresent, they're working to present a fraudulent picture in order to get good publicity and good public relations. But you won't see strong reporting like that coming from the mainstream read corporate media. You just won't. They're just not going to feed the hand that, you know, they're not going to bite the hand that feeds them, excuse me, people. So let's talk about greenwashing. Those of you who haven't heard what it is, simply put, greenwashing is a term to indicate a false environmentalism. Okay, it is, but it's also premeditated fraud, as I just said, created to deceive the public. And this very dangerous deception is meant in this instance to make big fossil fuel, the banks that fund fossil fuel, and the public relations industry, lobbyists, etc., connected to it, corporations connected to it. It's designed to make all of these groups look like they're honest actors. But they're not. Make no mistake about it. And unfortunately, there is something more dire going on here. This deception is wasting valuable time in a race for the future. Too many scientists worldwide have said, including the U.S., that it's code red for the planet. All right, that means there is no time to waste. And the moneymakers are, again, placing not only profit, profit above all else, but this time, they're placing profit above the planet's very survival. So let's examine the premeditated fraud that is greenwashing. So this report came from DeSmog, and it was prepared by one of their uh, investigators, Rachel Sherrington. It was released October 3rd, just a few days ago. And the headline is Revealed. Two-thirds of online posts from six major European fossil fuel companies greenwashing. Okay, well, that's pretty telling right there. And there's a subheadline. One expert called it, quote, get this, systematic deceptive marketing campaign designed to interfere with the solution that is necessary to respond to the climate emergency, namely stopping fossil fuel production. I got to say that again because that just says it right. There. An expert referred, an expert called out the greenwashing for what they consider it to be, which is the following quote: a systematic, deceptive marketing campaign designed to interfere with the solution that is necessary to respond to the climate emergency, stopping fossil fuel production. End quote. To sound a bit corny. That crashing sound you just heard was mic dropped because I couldn't have said it better myself. And 
when you are talking about deceptive marketing practices. Hello, isn't that fraud? Where are the attorney generals all over the United States? You know, here in my home in my home state of Missouri, we have an attorney general that was hellbent on prosecute I'm I'm hellbent on uh, executing and they did executing an intellectually disabled man. But do you think Missouri Attorney General Eric Schmidt is going to worry about the fraud that's greenwashing if it's coming from corporate coffers? Oh, God, no. And that's the thing. We don't have true rule of law here. We have rule of privilege where you basically get as much justice or as much privilege as you can afford, and the rest of us just just crap out of luck. So let's look at the study. Okay. According to the study, practically two-thirds of social media posts that, are, that have been put out by six major European fossil fuel and energy companies since the end of 2019 present this, quote, green image of their company, even though the majority of their business activity is still in fossil fuels. And that was from the new analysis by DeSmog. Now, the findings are... They add to the concerns of environmentalists that basically, quote, fossil fuel companies are promoting a misleading image of their business models as the need to decarbonize the economy becomes increasingly urgent, end quote. And it's very true. I mean, we're dealing with um, basically the destruction of the planet, you know, we, we know that unless we radically change our ways, like as of yesterday, the future generations will live in a world that large swaths of it will be basically uninhabitable. And yet these people want every little bit of profit they can get. I, I don't know. Maybe they think they can take it with them. But let's go on. So DeSmog's investigation really showed that there was a disproportionate focus on green or environmental efforts um, companies. And that included highlighting what they call their net zero targets. But that was compared to what their business actually did in terms of legitimately being devoted to clean energy. And it was like an 80-20 split. What they found was that 80% of these big businesses, their operations remained in oil and gas. One case was coal. So their op- 80% of their operations remained in the fossil fuel sector. And 20% represented investments that were outside of fossil fuels, like renewables, uh, carbon capture and storage, which has not been proven to be effective, and then some research R&D into some new green technologies. And the analysis found that 63% of the more than 3,000 online posts and videos that were found on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, by groups like, by corporate entities like Royal Dutch Shell, Total Energies, Repsol, Eni, Fortum, and Prem, um, between 2019 and December 2019 and April 2021, those numbers presented the energy companies as green. Okay, that that's, you know, that's like saying that Melania was a brain surgeon. It's ridiculous. Now, 
among those social media posts, approximately 18% were, quote, publicly designated as advertisements um, as they appeared on Facebook ad library. 16% of all online posts and promotions focused on the company's fossil fuel activities, research found, but they were arguing for the need for fossil fuels to ensure an energy supply remaining stable and arguing that the benefits to the economy in developing countries demanded that they remain in fossil fuels. And it's just pure nonsense, pure premeditated fraud and um, propaganda. So we have here a quote from Jeffrey Supran. Now, Supran is, uh, here, let me get to this here. He's He's a research associate in the Department of the History of Science at Harvard, no less. Jeffrey Supran is also the Director of Climate Accountability Communication at a group called the Climate Social Science Network. And to quote Mr. Supran, quote, this is greenwashing 101 and it's utterly misleading. Okay. Indeed, it's the very epitome of greenwashing. Act dirty, talk green. End quote. I love that slogan. That encapsulates it, what, they're, what these big companies are doing. It's act dirty, talk green. So let's talk about greenwashing a little more. The greenwashing was actually defined, uh, and this is as documented by a CCS, CSSN working paper on assessing greenwashing. So it was defined as, quote, an umbrella term for the various misleading communications and other corporate practices that intentionally or not induce false positive perceptions of an organization's environmental performance, end quote. Basically, greenwashing is propaganda. Jeffrey Stupern once again uh, uh, also continued, quote, that is indisputably what these oil and gas companies are doing when they publicly disguise their fossil fuel-based operations behind a green marketing sheen, end quote. And he's right. Half of the companies that were analyzed, as I said before, dedicated over 80% of their posts to highlighting their involvement in green and climate-friendly work and things like, you know, building up more renewable energy capacity. But when it came to actual investments, in other words, these companies dedicated most of the social media posts to talking about their, involve, their alleged involvement in green causes. But they're actually, their actual investments were only 12% of their portfolios. And that was based on publicly available figures. So they know they're lying. Okay. So the companies with the highest share of green promotions were the following, Swedish fuel company Prem, Finnish power company Fortum, and Europe's largest oil company Shell. Okay. So now we have a quote from Jonathan White, and he's a lawyer at Client Earth, and Client Earth is another great organization. They're a nonprofit that uses the law to hold these corporations accountable. And when it comes to environmental things, they're far more effective than ACLU or any of the others. Um, when you look at their actual website, you see they have scientists on board. So they have scientists and lawyers working together. It's, it's 
Wonderful. So to quote Jonathan White, lawyer at Client Earth, quote, there is a yawning gap between the marketing claims of fossil fuel companies and the reality of their businesses. The simple fact is that they are not reducing their polluting activities by the significant amount required to limit the worst impacts of global warming. He goes on to say, quote, just like the tobacco industry did, the fossil fuel industry uses advertisements and promotions to deflect attention away from their harmful business models, deceive the public and politicians with false solutions, and ultimately delay climate action. Now, that last quote was from Georgia Whitaker, who is the lead campaigner, I stand corrected here, the lead campaigner for fossil fuel revolution in Greenpeace, Netherlands. Okay? So the comparisons of the tobacco industry didn't come from Jonathan White. It came from Georgia Whitaker, again, lead campaigner for fossil fuel revolution in Greenpeace, Netherlands. Okay? And Whitaker went on to say, quote, greenwashing is the new climate denial. And it's allowing companies responsible for the climate crisis to hide in plain sight. Perfect. I wish I had said it myself. I'm going to say it again. It was so good. So Georgia Whitaker, lead campaigner for the for fossil free revolution at Greenpeace Netherlands, said the following, quote, Greenwashing is the new climate denial. And it's allowing companies responsible for the climate crisis to hide in plain sight, end quote. Couldn't have said it better myself. Now, there were some recent rulings against fossil fuel companies and specifically against their misleading claims. Uh, and this was as documented by JWN Energy um, as well as ClientEarth.org. Okay. Uh, campaigners are also ramping up pressure for stricter regulations on fossil fuel companies, including with the demand that there needs to be health warnings placed on fossil fuel company ads. And that was as documented by uh, EUobserver.com, their climate section. And th this last part, the growing calls for health warnings they, on fossil fuel company ads, they want that quote in the same way that is required for tobacco companies across much of the world. That's a pretty damning statement when you think about it. But it's also accurate. In fact, even more so. All right. They, they are destroying the world, destroying the planet. Yeah, I would think that they should have health warnings. They should be held accountable criminally, not just civilly. So we have another quote here from Barabi Pace, who's a senior campaigner at Global Witness, another environmental group. Quote, these companies use advertising to distort the public debate, portray themselves as the good guys on environmental issues, and to create a social license for themselves, effectively build an aura of respectability around their activities that mask the true nature of the disastrous role they play, end quote. And it's true. Did several companies, Swedish oil company Prem had the biggest discrepancy between um, the number of online messages that promote a green image and the reality of their investment energy portfolio. Um, more than 80% of Prem's posts 
promoted this bogus green image and also pushed the idea of green technology. But according to the smog, quote, only 2% of the company's business is outside of fossil fuels, end quote. Now, a Prem spokesperson said the following, quote, we believe that it is relevant and important that we communicate about the strategic decisions that set us apart from others in our industry. We also think it is relevant that we communicate the goals we work towards and the sustainable development that takes place in our company, even though we are fully aware that we have a long way to go, end quote. Talk about understatement of the decade, a long way to go? Really? That, that's like saying Donald Trump's chance of getting out of hell, he has a long way to go. Talk about understatements. So they have this visual here, and it, it, the smog has, and it's really very, very strong here. So it's green, prom, green promos or green promotions versus fossil fuels in their actual investment portfolio and by company. And what they have here is Prem has 81% of their promos that are green, but in terms of their investment portfolio, 98%, as I said before, of their investment portfolio is in fossil fuel. Okay. Then we have Fortum, 81% green promos, 54% of fossil fuels in their portfolio. So they're not as lopsided, but still, that's not good. All right. Shell. We know about Shell, don't we? Has 81%. Uh, let's see. Let me stand corrected. Shell has 81% of their promotions online is green, promoting green. 90% of their investment portfolio is in fossil fuel. And when I, excuse me, when I say fossil fuel, just dirty fuel. It is what it is. Total, which is not the numeric total, it's the name of the company. Total has 55% green promos. 90% of their investment portfolio is in fossil fuel or dirty fuel. Any, E-N-I, another company, 55% of their promos are, in, are green, promoting green technologies. 80% of their investment portfolio is in fossil fuel. And Repsol, 48% of their promotions are pushing green, but 70% of their investment portfolio is in fossil fuel or dirty fuel. And it's that discrepancy this this particular analysis is really pointing out. Now, we have a quote from the Shell spokesperson. Now, keep in mind, Shell had 81% of the promotions online as touting green technologies, but... 90% of their investment portfolio is in dirty fossil fuel. So here's what their Shell spokesperson had to say as they responded to the findings of the DeSmog analysis. Quote, to help alter the mix of energy Shell sells, we need to grow these new businesses rapidly. That means letting our customers know through advertising or social media what lower carbon solutions we offer now or are developing so they can switch when the time is right for them, end quote. So apparently this, the public relations spokesperson for Shell thinks that the, the public is so stupid that they don't know the need, and so they have to be, have it explained to them like they're two years old on social media. Ridiculous. Okay. 
Now, there's some other things, too. There's a focus on net zero, and we've talked about this on the show before. Okay. And, and net zero, it's kind of a scam. It, on the surface, it sounds great. And if we had honest people in these companies, honest people in government, and, and all that, then maybe we could take it at its surface value, but we can't because that's not the reality. Now, it's ironic that Desmog's research also found that on social media, it was the fossil fuel companies that were the most apt to talk about their climate plans and initiatives, okay, as long as they didn't have to put any money into it. Notice the difference. It's, you know, talk green, invest dirty. That's what they're doing. And there were several strategies and projects, and there was a really big focus on what they call net zero targets, and all six companies have introduced. So net zero targets have been really um, criticized more recently, and that also is documented by www.energyvoice.com, oil and gas, um, and in an article titled, Shell and Total Still Spending 90% of Capital on Fossil Fuels. And net zero targets have been criticized recently as an example of greenwashing. Quote, over their potential to mislead the public of the extent of the emissions reductions that some energy companies have promised. Okay, what they're saying basically is that this concept of net zero has been used as a greenwashing strategy to con all of us into thinking that they're doing more than they're actually doing, which and they're doing really nothing. So uh, let's look at what these companies have done. Prem is the largest fossil fuel company in Sweden. Uh, in 2019, they announced that they will become carbon neutral by 2045 and that the way they plan on decarbonizing is to inc- they're going to rely on biofuels, that's number one, and carbon capture and storage, which is number two. Now, both biofuels and carbon capture and storage, or CCS, have been called out as false solutions. And they've been called out because they still, um, the way they work, you're still using fossil fuels to, you know, to generate energy, and there's also emissions that are released. Okay. And the Prem spokesperson pointed to investments in bioenergy, electrification, and carbon capture, and said the following, quote, the measures we focus on have support in research and national and international regulations and have a positive effect on climate change, end quote. That, that's a nice little fairy tale. Uh, Shell plans to reach net zero by 2050. <clears throat> um, they announced just as February. Their plan, according to The Guardian, includes just mild reductions to their oil business, but they're also going to expand their business in natural gas by over 20 years, 20% rather. And their target also relies on what are called offsetting schemes, which have also been criticized. Um, And offsetting basically means like taxing carbon credits or forest offsets. In other words, we're going to pollute X X amount in this area, but we'll plant 
X amount of forest and trees to offset the pollution we're sending. Now, there's already been recent studies that, you know, planting trees is a great idea. We need to do that. There's no amount of planting trees that's going to make the difference, though, we, not without cutting fossil fuel use, period. You know, I, I would compare it to uh, a diabetic that really doesn't want to listen to the doctor, okay? Um, my mother had an Aunt Mary. She was very diabetic. This was back in the day when pretty much insulin was the only thing they used. And Aunt Mary was overweight, and she would take her insulin and then eat half a chocolate cake thinking she's fine. That's what they're talking about with offsetting. Think of that metaphor, and it makes more sense. So it's just ludicrous. It's not neither or proposition. We must do all of it. We just do. Um, now, the guidance on offsetting best practice, which was published by Oxford University, argues that companies should, quote, instead prioritize reducing your own emissions first, end quote. So, you know, Oxford University called them out on the same nonsense. Okay. We're going to move ahead here. Um, any Repsol and Total Energies, they all say they're going to become net zero by 2050. Um, again, we don't really know what they're – they're making the claim, but that doesn't mean that it's really going to happen. Um, so to give you an example, uh, Fortum committed to – Net zero European power generation by 2035, and that's according to splglobal.com. And that included a pledge to increase both solar and wind capacity as energy generators. But they can't leave it alone, can they? The company has also defended the opening of a new German coal plant by its, one, its own subsidiary, called Uniper, and that's according to InfluenceMap.org. And Fortune's also publicly endorsed Uniper after legal action was taken by the company against a 2030 Netherlands coal phase-out date, again, according to InfluenceMap.org. So now we have another lawyer, Professor Karen Sokol of Loyola University College of Law. Now, she responded to this, this uh, analysis by DeSmog, and she said the following, quote, the industry's climate and society-friendly messaging is nothing new. Rather, it's just the latest um, instant, the latest uh, incarnation of its disinformation campaign designed to allow it to continue profiting from deadly and planet-destroying fossil fuel products. That's pretty clear. She also went on to say that they, we need to move away from pushing this greenwashing, which is basically a form of climate denialism, all right? Um, she went on to say, quote, I believe greenwashing tends to minimize the wrongful nature of the industry's messaging. It is a, and she's the one who said this, it is a systematic, deceptive marketing campaign 
designed to interfere with the solution that is necessary to respond to the climate emergency, being fossil fuel production. So now we know the origin of that quote. It was Professor Karen Sokol at Loyola University College of Law. Get a little water here. Sorry, it's a little dry after all this talking. So we have some more lawyers speaking up. All right. Jonathan White, an attorney at Client Earth, and I spoke about Client Earth before. He went on to say, quote, these advertisements don't just promote green efforts. They promote the fossil fuel company, too. All right. And he called out these low-carbon initiatives as just token projects. White continued, quote, the millions spent on sophisticated marketing and advertising campaigns are about shaping public opinion and maintaining demand for fossil fuels. The harmful impact this has on the pace of change at a time when the need to transition could not be clearer cannot be underestimated, end quote. What does it take people to get everybody on board? This isn't just about us. This is about the fact that we're destroying the planet and our children and grandchildren will literally have to live with hell on earth because we were too selfish or too cowardly to change things. And we should all hang our heads collectively in shame. So there were some other major green topics. Okay. So there was a talk about um, electric cars. So one company, Repsol, looked like they supported the rollout of electric vehicles, according to their own press release, uh, and according to Influence Map. And this was in a February 2021 EU consultation response by Repsol. The company appears to support, quote, a technology-neutral approach to decarbonizing road transport, okay, end quote. And that would also consider vehicles that use biofuels or fuels from carbon capture. Those would also be considered zero-emission vehicles, end quote. Carbon capture is not zero emission, okay. You're releasing the emissions into the environment, and then they're going to suck it back in and bury it underground. It's crazy. Well, I'm not an expert on that. The Repsol spokesperson told the smog that, yes, the company supports electrification, but, quote, carbon liquid fuels like advanced biofuels and synthetic fuels produced from renewable hydrogen and captured CO2 are also needed to decarbonize sectors where electrification is not yet an option, such as aviation, maritime, and long-distance road transport, as well as passenger cars and vans where electrification of the whole vehicle fleet will require considerable time, end quote. So that's Rob on the show. Um, they supposedly claimed that they supported a transition to electric vehicles, even though that went that flew in the face of API, which is the American Petroleum Institute's lobbying. And an API has lobbied actively against electric vehicles in the U.S. Now, even though Shell's stated position as being for electric cars is contradictory to API, the American Petroleum Institute's campaign 
vehement campaign against electric vehicles, guess what? Do you think Shell canceled their membership in API? Nope. They sure didn't. They are still a member in good standing. And that is according to their own their own website, www.shell.com, promo sustainability industry associations climate review twenty twenty one. Alrighty. So our friend Jonathan White, who's a lawyer at Client Earth, I would love to have him on the show. Um, he made a comment that again so telling. Quote, there is a yawning gap between the marketing claims of fossil fuel companies and the reality of their businesses, end quote. Yes, there is. He's calling them out as propagandists and liars who push premeditated fraud. And, you know, the last time I checked, if you marketed something and it was fraudulent, your claims, that was a criminal action. So why aren't these CEOs, these boards of directors, the lawyers that knowingly go along with it and lawyers that cover up for their corporate clients, as well as major stockholders, as well as the public relations firms that push this, why are all of them facing criminal charges? It's a rhetorical question. We know why. We know that there is no real justice that corporate persons, you know, get away with anything. You know, there was a, um, a, it was a comparison, not, I don't know, maybe five, ten years ago when we were all talking about corporate personhood in, in like the Citizens United decision, which was totally asinine. Um, and they took the personality attributes of the corporate person and it aligned up totally with sociopaths. Bam. So we know why. But once again, these people should face not only civil liability, but criminal liability as well with mandatory jail time. They just should. And when they're when they lose, that that money should be to pay for ways to clean up the environment. That's it. Their investors shouldn't get a damn penny. Okay. So let's move on here. This is a part of the of the report that's titled Controversial Ideas. All things controversial, actually. Um, there's been uh, quite a few green-focused social posts, they call it, about technologies and fuel sources that were, you know, greenwashed. And they've been the subject of concerns from scientists and activists because that greenwashing makes people more relaxed about it and more apt to pollute more and contribute more to global emissions. They're also considered false solutions. Global Witness quoted, quote, the fossil fuel industry loves pushing technological fixes to the climate crisis that mean they don't have to stop using fossil fuels. Okay. They are nearly always decades away, and are vastly expensive, or just simply don't work. The real risk is that governments fall for these false solutions, often deciding to pump huge amounts of money into them that would be better spent on technology we know works, such as renewables, end quote. Again, governments like ours 
pump money into this this fraud instead of cutting fossil fuel subsidies and putting money into renewables we know work, like wind and solar. Let's get to natural gas. That is considered the most favored panacea. All right. Now, it's it, natural gas is considered a bridge fuel. And it is because even though it's a fossil fuel, it does produce fewer emissions than other fossil fuels when burnt. However, natural gas release still releases methane as well as carbon dioxide. And the extraction of natural gas leads to increased emissions of a particular greenhouse gas, namely methane. And methane is far more powerful than carbon dioxide. So natural gas has its own danger as well. One of the reasons I read that the polar ice caps are, have largely melted and it's increased much faster than was previously expected is because as it melted, it released massive quantities of, guess what, methane. So it creates this exponential effect. So this is not the answer. Just isn't. So let's move on here. Um, carbon capture and storage also a panacea. All right. These companies that are pushing CCS or carbon capture and storage have been criticized because when you use CCS, you're justifying the continued use of fossil fuels. Again. A diabetic excuse. I'll take my insulin after eating half of a chocolate cake with, you know, what, a milkshake chaser? Doesn't work. Jeffrey Suprin of Harvard, once again, to quote him, quote, in principle, I welcome well-intentioned researchers developing fallback, fill-in-the-gaps technologies like CCS and green hydrogen. Um, but he also noted that natural gas really doesn't fit into the category because it is, quote, clearly a potent greenhouse gas incompatible with a just and stable future. Um, and he also went on to say that the risk is that these fossil fuel companies will try to co-opt technologies to, quote, avoid first and foremost scaling down fossil fuel production. Make no mistake about it. The fossil fuel industry, along with the American Petroleum, in, in, is, along with the American Petroleum uh, Institute, which is a lobbying group, they're drug dealers. Everybody's talking about the opioid crisis. This is the biggest opioid of all. Period. And it's destroying the planet. And they're willing to do anything to keep from cutting into their profit as they continue to sell their poison. The fossil fuel industry, the bankers that fund them, the public relations groups that create this greenwashing fraud, this deceptive marketing, the corporate attorneys that know, know this is fraud and help their clients cover it up, the big um, stockholders, they're all drug dealers. And instead of opioids, the drug of choice is our 
our constant hooking up for fossil fuel. That's it. Jonathan White, once again of Client Earth, was quoted, quote, it's misleading when a fossil fuel company suggests its glass its gas is clean and the necessary partner to renewables. It's misleading when an oil company says planting trees is the way to manage the environmental impact of continuing levels of oil production. And it's misleading when a company planning to carry on or grow its fossil fuel production then flies in the face of climate science to claim that it's working toward a sustainable future, end quote. And it doesn't matter if you're a conservative or a liberal, Republican or Democrat, both Democratic and Republican presidents pushed this greenwashing garbage. Just did. Let's talk, skipping ahead, let's talk about hydrogen. We, here at EJR, a while back, we did a show on, you know, the president pushing blue hydrogen, which is not the good one. You want green hydrogen, and it has to do with how it's produced. Um, and again, the problem even with green hydrogen, which is not that bad, you know, green hydrogen doesn't produce any greenhouse gases when burnt. But the activists are worried that the use of green hydrogen, quote, may prolong the use of fossil fuels. And that's, again, according to DeSmog. And that was in a piece they did recently titled, The Big Lie of Blue Hydrogen Starts with Ignoring Basic Economics. And there are several ways to produce hydrogen, according to this report. Again, according to DeSmog. And this was a piece done in January of 21. The title was Decoding Hype Behind Natural Gas, Gas Industry Hydrogen Push. The problem with hydrogen is that, quote, all of it currently in production uses methane as the feedstock with non-renewable energy powering that production. Remember we just mentioned methane is a powerful greenhouse gas, much more powerful than carbon dioxide. And when we did the blue hydrogen show, because it is kind of a scam that I think the president fell for, frankly, because he's not a scientist, you know, once again, the excuse was, we'll use blue hydrogen, but then the methane's released will do capture and storage underground. Given the track record of the fossil fuel industry, do any of us think that their word is worth anything? No, of course not. They've not only lied to us for decades, for decades, the fossil fuel industry, as we talked about in this show before, has known that their product is the direct cause, period. And they concealed, they, with premeditation, they concealed, they withheld that information. And this was information their own scientists found. So is their word worth anything? No, of course not. So that's what we're dealing with. Okay. Once again, Harvard's Jeffrey Supran just basically saying that when these companies are marketing CCS, carbon capture and, and storage, or they're marketing hydrogen technologies as green, 
there's risk that when you promote these these particular ideas, that one silver quote silver bullet techno fixes that aren't yet commercially viable and approaches consistent with business as usual for oil and gas companies. He's basically okay. Let me kind of back up. What Supran's saying is that these options, their effectiveness is going to be exaggerated. In fact, don't call it exaggeration. They're going to lie about it and say this these these technologies are effective when they're already just unproven. Okay? They haven't proven that CCS, carbon capture and storage, or hydrogen works yet. Unproven. But we're supposed to trust them. And then we're supposed to trust that the fossil fuel industry won't do business as usual, in other words, that they'll do the right thing. Okay? Again, that's akin to saying Melania is a brain surgeon. It's not going to happen. If it seems like I'm ragging on Melania, it's because, well, anyway, not even going to get into it. So, Supreme went on to say, quote, that, uh, it went on to say that when you use carbon capture and storage as well as hydrogen as this silver bullet fix, if you will, then it lets the industry present themselves as what he calls, quote, a fossil fuel savior, okay? And then it defends the status quo, which is climate, planetary climate devastation caused by the same fossil fuel industry. And the point was also echoed by Professor Sokol from Loyola University Law School to quote Professor Sokol, quote, all technologies that involve continued fossil fuel production, including carbon capture and so-called blue or gray hydrogen, are not merely false solutions. They would accelerate the climate crisis, perpetuate existing and create new harms that disproportionately impact communities who have long been on the front lines of fossil fuel infrastructure, end quote. Now, there's more to this report than that, but you guys can, you know, look it up and read it yourself. I wanted to get the big points. Um, moving on here towards the end, this is the end of it, actually. Um, last quote is, again, by Jeffrey Supran. Quote, this industry, in other words, the fossil fuel industry, this industry has a proven track record of acting in bad faith on the climate crisis, and so the onus must be on them to show they are serious about reforming their business practices rather than their propaganda. This means putting their money where their mouths are. As long as they continue to market themselves as low carbon, yet invest almost entirely in high carbon, their, in other words, dirty energy, their ads are, by definition, a distraction from reality that doesn't deserve to be taken seriously, end quote. So, this report research was also done by Nadia Feldkirchner, Ines Emprin, Charlotta Lanolati, I apologize if I'm saying your name wrong, Ingvil Dela, Marangela Castillo, Catherine Besenji, Bo Froelich, and Kate McMahon. Okay. 
So that's the report. Let's move on. As I said before, the theme is quite plain, and that is that greenwashing is premeditated criminal fraud. So the other dirty half of greenwashing, the lobbyist from The Guardian. Now, this article is about two months old. <coughs> And the uh, headline is, How a Powerful U.S. Lobby Group Helps Big Oil to Block Climate Action. This ran in the, Gu in the Guardian, and it is about the American Petroleum Institute. And the subheadline is, The American Petroleum Institute receives millions from oil companies and works behind the scenes to stall or weaken legislation. This was written by Chris McReel. And it starts out, Royal Dutch Shell, they, had, they published their annual environmental report in April, April of 21. Get this quote. It boasted that it was investing heavily in renewable energy, end quote. I, I, you can't make this stuff up. It's so asinine. They're not only telling lies, they're telling incredibly stupid lies, and they keep going. They, they think they're going to cover their asses because they make it look so. But anyway, now I'm just reading straight from the article right now. Quote, on the same day Shell issued a separate report, as documented by Shell, their own company, revealing that its single largest donation to political lobby groups last year was made to guess who? The American Petroleum Institute. So Shell's boasting that they are investing heavily in renewable energy, but their largest donation to any lobby group was the American Petroleum Institute. Now, the American Petroleum Institute, or API, is one of the most powerful trade lobby groups in the country. Excuse me. They push the oil industry's re relationship with Congress. That's a nice way of saying the API pretty much owns Congress. Just call it out. All right? We know that basically members of Congress, both houses, the House and the Senate, take legalized bribes. That's what it is. And it's not just me saying it. There are two books <clears throat> written by a man named Peter Schweitzer. And one of them, the first book was Throw Them All Out, How Politicians and Their Friends Get Rich Off Insider Stock Tips, Land Deals, and Cronyism That Would Send the Rest of Us to Prison. And the other book is titled Extortion, How, Politic how Politicians Extract Your Money, Buy Votes, and Line Their Own Pockets. And the bibliography and the, and the footnotes at the end of the book, very extensive. So I feel comfortable saying that, yeah, Congress is bought, and the American Petroleum Institute is one of the big mockers. In other words, one of the big kahunas. Now, API's chief executive is a man named Mike Summers. And he has, according to this article, pledged to, quote, resist a raft of Joe Biden's environmental measures. Okay. Uh, Mr. Summers, according to this article, is complaining that there's a, quote, rushed transition 
to electric vehicles, uh, and that that's part of, quote, government action to limit Americans' transportation choice, end quote. Now, these charging points are a minor change, but, oh, I'm sorry, and he was complaining about the, um, the Biden administration. One of the things they want to do in the reconciliation bill is to have um, basically these charging um, charging stations for electric vehicles and it's a minor change but you know API will work to destroy it in the name of our transportation choices so if I choose to buy an electric vehicle I'm screwed because the API is working for my transportation choices mm-hmm. yeah right again more stupid lies and that was extreme sarcasm in case I was too obtuse for some of you um, again, Shell donated more than $10 million to API just last year. Yeah. And it's not just Shell. Other major funders of the American Petroleum Institute include ExxonMobil, Chevron, and BP, British Petroleum. Now, a lot of critics, according to this article, accuse big fossil fuel like Shell and the others using API as you know, basically a cover for their behaviors. Um, so what? API is willing to do it, and they're being paid. They're being well paid to do it. Um, I would say that to me, the American Petroleum Institute, their lobbyists, are, you know, basically pushing propaganda. Care if they're considered the whipping boy? I, I truly don't. Senator Sheldon Whitehouse, um, who is a who's been a critic of Big Oil's public relations greenwashing, uh, accused API of quote lying on a massive industrial scale end quote regarding the climate crisis in order to stall legislation to combat global heating. Okay, Whitehouse is right. Okay, to quote Whitehouse, the major oil companies and API move very much together. Okay, White House went on to explain that it's no longer socially acceptable for fossil fuel um, to just come out and deny climate change. Okay, so instead, they're just trying to muddy the waters. You know, it's, it's kind of like the, the old Lee Atwater excuse with coded language when it came to dog whistle code that racists use. You know, it used to be you couldn't yell the N-word, and then basically what they were really talking about got so so abstract you could say um, states' rights, and the bigots knew you were really talking about racial segregation. Okay, the same with this. Okay, they know they can't say that climate change is raw, is, you know, that's not real. So they're using code to try and make it look like their, their clients aren't guilty as hell. Uh, Senator Whitehouse added, quote, the question as to whether they're even sincere or whether this is just climate is a hoax 2.0 is unknown at this point. Okay, and he's right. Now, Shell offered, according to this article, a very, what I call a pretty vapid defense of its funding of the American Petroleum Institute, all right? Um, and Shell claimed that they're, even though they're misaligned 
with some of the API's policies. Um, they want to stay in the group so they can have, quote, a greater positive impact from within. Okay. Uh, all right. That, that's akin to saying that when my dog goes out in the backyard and takes a big steaming shit, that it smells like perfume. And it doesn't. Okay? That's how ridiculous that is. Um, so, basically, API, the American Petroleum Institute, is doing more than just acting as a lobby group. They're also f helping to fight uh, quite a few growing number of lawsuits, and that's according to um, the Guardian in a piece uh, titled Climate Crimes, Fossil Fuel City-States. And one of the first lawsuits is led by Minnesota, by the Minnesota Attorney General Keith Ellison. And that lawsuit, quote, alleges that the trade group was at the heart of a decades-long disinformation campaign on behalf of big oil to deny the threat from fossil fuels, end quote. That's true. Um, and instead of – an API really is a – a political predator. I'll just call it out. All right. They're lobbying to stall pro progress on any green policies that are going to be in the reconciliation bill. To quote Senator Whitehouse again, their political effort, in other words, the API, American Petroleum Industry, I, I mean, American Petroleum Institute, excuse me. Their political effort at this point is purely negative, purely against serious climate legislation, and many of them continue to fund the fraudulent climate denialists that have been their mouthpieces for a decade or more, end quote. Now, the American Petroleum uh, Institute, I'm sorry, has had what I call a long, incestuous history with American presidents. And true, while they favor Republicans, it's not the only thing. The API was founded in 1919. Um, during the First World War, it became World War One. It became a major political force with almost 240 million in annual revenue during World War One. And on their board, we've had people from Big Oil, Rex Tillerson, who was a former chief of Exxon who went on to become Donald Trump's Secretary of State. We have Tofiq Al-Gabsani, who's the chief of Saudi Refining, and that's a subsidiary of the giant state-owned Aramco oil, oil giant. Al-Gabsani is also registered as a lobbyist for the Saudi government. API also hired professional lobbyists, including Philip Cooney, who served under George W. Bush. It's, get this, chief of staff of the Council on Environmental Quality. But then he was forced to resign in 05 because he tampered with government climate assessments to basically intending to downplay the actual scientific evidence that, yes, global heating is destroying the planet. Uh, after Cooney was forced to resign, okay, he was hired by Exxon. Gee whiz. So... Um, according to this article, it, quote, 
API was prepared to carry out the dirty work that individual companies did not want to be held responsible for, end quote. Cook goes on to say, to state that in 1999, after multiple countries signed the Kyoto, the Kyoto Protocol to design to, you know, curb uh, carbon emissions, get this, quote, API drew up a multi-million dollar disinformation campaign to ensure climate change, quote, climate change becomes a non-issue. And that's as documented, um, it's on Document Cloud, actually. You have to look at the article yourself. And the API plan said, quote, victory will be achieved when recognition of uncertainties become part of conventional wisdom, end quote. Okay, again, premeditated criminal fraud. Too much of the science proves otherwise. Now, a lot of the actions that API has pushed are the basis for a lot of the lawsuits. The first lawsuit, as I said before, against API themselves was filed by Minnesota Attorney General Keith Ellison. That was last year. And Ellison accused the group of, quote, working alongside ExxonMobil and Coke Industries to lie about the scale of the climate crisis, end quote. And I'm just reading straight from this. The suit alleges that, quote, previously unknown internal documents, end quote, showed the API and the others well understood the dangers for decades, but, quote, engaged in a public relations campaign that was not only false, but also highly effective to undermine climate science, end quote. And that's straight from the article. It's not Janine Moloff's words. It's the Guardian's words. And it goes on. There's more. Turns out the city of Hoboken in New Jersey also is suing API, quote, claiming that it engaged in a conspiracy by joining and funding front groups that ran, quote, deceptive advertising and communications campaigns that promote climate dis disinformation and denialism, end quote. So that's another way of calling out greenwashing as premedit premeditated criminal fraud. Now, the lawsuits allege the following. One, that API funded scientists to deny or underplay climate changes. And two, gave millions of dollars to ostensibly independent organizations such as the Cato Institute and the George C. Marshall Institute, which denied or downplayed the growing environmental crisis, end quote. Again, straight from the Guardian article. Attorney General Keith Ellison added the following, quote, API has been a member of at least five organizations that have promoted disinformation about fossil fuel products to consumers. These front groups were formed to provide disinformation. I'm, I'm sorry. These front groups were formed to provide climate disinformation and advocacy from a seemingly objective source when, in fact, they were financed and controlled by ExxonMobil and other sellers of fossil fuel products, end quote. Now, the article goes on to say the API wasn't always this way. Back in 1988, it wasn't like that. But then we're not even going to get into that because guess what? There are now. So API, as well as their backers, formed a front organization. One of the front organizations they formed has a very deceptive name as well, predictably so. They, it's called the Global Climate Coalition. And in the 90s, 
The GCC's chairman, William O'Keefe, was also API's executive vice president. And O'Keefe was a man who falsely claimed that, quote, climate scientists don't say that burning oil, gas, and coal is steadily warming the earth, end quote. These people can't control their lies. This is ridiculous. Uh, the American Petroleum Institute and the Global Climate Coalition go back a ways. They even attacked then-President Clinton's support of the Kyoto Protocol. Okay, And they had what this article calls, quote, a global climate science communications plan, which was going to misrepresent the facts, just like Keith Ellison said. Okay. Now, the API does favor the GOP predictably, but I'm sure there's people like Joe Manchin that benefit. Okay, excuse me. Senator Whitehouse did add that the GOP benefits the most. To quote Senator Whitehouse, quote, most of the funding for the Republican Party and probably a very considerable amount of the big dark money funding behind the Republican Party comes out of the fossil fuel industry. Okay. And he pointed out that last year API indirectly gave $5 million to the conservative senator leadership fund, which, you know, backed Republican candidates who, you know, don't believe science is real. Nothing new there. Okay. Uh, let's move on. All right. So now we have some more hypocrisy. So from The Guardian, once again, you've seen commercials on TV throughout where big companies like Amazon and Microsoft and Apple are all trying to push their, in, their green creds to see we're environmentally responsible. We're part of the solution. Yeah, right. Except it's not true. It's more propaganda. So in an article written by um, let's see, Oliver Millman in The Guardian. The headline is, Apple and Disney among companies backing bills. I'm sorry, let me start again. From The Guardian, written by Oliver Millman. The headline is, Apple and Disney among companies backing groups against U.S. climate bill. Okay, you hear that? A subheadline is Amazon and Microsoft also supporting groups fighting legislation despite promises to combat the climate crisis analysis finds. So, some of America's most prominent companies, you know, including their CEOs, you know, Bill Gates is always, he's not in charge of Microsoft anymore, but he's a prime stockholder. They love to push themselves as these prominent progressives, except it's a pile of steaming. That comes out of my, it's akin to a pile, big pile of steaming shit that comes out of my dog's ass. I'm just going to say it. Except my dog has more honest intentions, obviously. Um, so these, these big companies, Apple, Amazon, Microsoft, Disney, they're backing business groups that are actively fighting landmark climate legislation. Even though at the same time, they're claiming they're good environmental stewards. And this is a new analysis. Okay. 
So there's a, a bunch of corporate lobby groups and organizations that have really mobilized to fight this proposed $3.5 trillion budget bill put forward by Democrats, according to The Guardian. And that bill contains some, you know, at least part of a Green New Deal. I wouldn't say a lot of it, but part of it. And it's all in the reconciliation bill. House, I'm sorry, Senate Majority Leader Senator Schumer has called it, quote, the most significant climate action in our country's history, end quote. I don't know if it's that, but these these schnorrs don't want any. The word schnorr is a Yiddish word. It means freeloader, bum, low life. Okay. Um, and a lot of U.S. corporations have gotten on the bandwagon. They know that to claim they're green and to push the greenwashing is just good for their bottom line. You know? Uh, this article mentions Jeff Bezos, who is scum, in my opinion. He Bezos said the climate crisis is, quote, the biggest threat to our planet. And that Amazon has pledged for businesses to cut their emissions to net zero by 2040. Microsoft's also promised to be carbon negative within a decade. And Disney is pushing to use only renewable sourced electricity within the same time frame. But these companies and others, quote, either support or actively steer the very lobby groups that are attempting to sink the bill that carries the weight of Biden's ambitions to tackle the climate crisis. Okay? That's it. And the study, the group that compiled the analysis that's mentioned is a group called Accountable.us. I love that name, Accountable. I'm all about accountability. And they quote Kyle Herrig, who is the president of Accountable.us. To quote Kyle Herrig, quote, major corporations love to tell us how committed they are to, to addressing the climate crisis and building a sustainable future. But behind closed doors, they are funding the very industry trade groups that are fighting tooth and nail to stop the biggest climate change bill ever, end quote. Now, it should be mentioned that when the Guardian contacted each of these companies, not a single one of them um, would, quote, rebuke the stance of the lobby groups that they are part of. And none of those companies said they would even review the links to the groups. According to Herrig, once again, from Accountable.us, quote, hiding behind these shady groups doesn't just put our environment at risk. It puts these companies' household names and reputations in serious jeopardy. Who are some of these groups? According to the study conducted by Accountable.us, one's the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, predictably. They're fighting any accountability or movement on this, what is really a climate emergency. In fact, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce has quoted that they have vowed to, quote, do everything we can to prevent this tax-raising, job-killing reconciliation bill from becoming law, end quote. Notice the first thing they mentioned, though. It is really a Freudian slip, tax-raising. They'd rather see the planet destroyed than these billionaire pigs having to pay their fair share or even anywhere near it. Okay? Um. The U.S. Chamber of Commerce, which is a lobby group, includes executives from the following companies. Microsoft, ah, 
Intuit, United Airlines, and Deloitte. Um, Deloitte, ironically, teaches climate crisis to their employees in their actual staff training, and they've made promises to reduce emissions, but, you know, we know their word is useless. Another group fighting this, another lobby group that Accountable found is responsible for this greenwashing, Business Roundtable. Okay? Um, they said they're deeply concerned about the reconciliation bill, quote, largely because it raises taxes on the wealthy. I don't know. Maybe Bezos and Musk and some of the others, maybe they think they can take it with them? I don't know. But they don't care about saving the planet. They do care about the idea that they should have to pay any taxes at all. Their arrogance is beyond the pale. They have no... They are, when they're refusing to do that, they're really repudiating the idea of a public commons. These billionaires have basically elevated themselves to self-appointed aristocracy. That would turn, they have turned all of us into wage slaves. And it's time to end this. Well, Business Roundtable has quite a few chief executives too, including Apple's Tim Cook. So much for Apple's uh, green, their pro-green, you know, facade, right? Apple's Tim Cook has called for stronger action on the climate emergency. But, you know, if you believe in the action, why would you be part of a group like Business Roundtable? Other members of Business Roundtable execs that are involved in fighting the reconciliation bill, Andy Jassy, who's chief executive of Amazon, Sundar Pichai, who heads Google's parent company, Alphabet, and Darren Woods, chief executive of, predictably, the oil giant Exxon. Big Pharma's part of it. Darren AstraZeneca, they are part of a lobby group that is the Pharmaceutical Research and Manufacturers of America. They're a trade group. Uh, There's the Rate Coalition, which is another lobby that includes Disney, FedEx, and Verizon. Again, these, all these groups are pushing to fight the bill because, God forbid, these stores should have to pay a 1% or 2% percentage points of taxes. So, and then, of course, we've got Joe Manchin, who's going to make sure it doesn't happen anyway. Um, and Joe Manchin has his own conflict of interest, which we're going to talk about in a few minutes anyway. So, this is real. We're running out of time because this is, you know, Biden, President Biden's about to head to what's called the COP26 talks. Uh, I believe it's going to be in Scotland. And the COP26 the COP talks, this is the UN climate talks, all right? The reconciliation bill fails, especially with any sort of Green New Deal, even ever so slightly then it's, it's going to hurt him politically as well. Um, they care more about the environment, though. And to quote um, Lucas Ross, who is the climate program manager at Friends of the Earth, quote, this is a historic chance to end fossil fuel subsidies and invest in a livable future. So that's the other. I skipped over it, but one of the things that we want to do is end the fossil fuel subsidies, which we've talked about on another show. The fossil fuel industry has received taxpayer subsidies for over 90 years now, 
And at the beginning, it made sense. The industry was just first starting. We didn't know what was going to happen with it, but they no longer need it. I mean, when you talk, it, Joe Manchin has a hell of a lot of nerve uh, basically lecturing us about an entitlement mentality because big fossil fuel is an entitlement mentality. In fact, you want to talk about a welfare mama, that's fossil fuel industry sticking, basically suckling at the pit of the, the, the taxpayer subsidies. Okay. Let's move on. Let's talk about the coal mandarin himself, Joe Manchin. Joe Manchin has a major conflict of interest. All right? He owns millions of dollars in coal stocks. That's the majority of his pay. All right? And yet he's become the decider in chief. Some people refer to him as the shadow president because he reminds me of Lucy holding the football. And, you know, Biden is Charlie Brown who stupidly believes Manchin every single time and then pulls the ball away. All right? That's what this is. Joe Manchin has no credibility. He is clearly a liar. Period. And his fortune is based in the coal industry. So, one, as I said last week, why is he the one in charge of the committee writing the climate bill, the climate provisions of the reconciliation bill? Why? If anything, Manchin should recuse himself, the Guardian saying this, and Jamin Mollop saying it too. Manchin should be forced upon pain of criminal prosecution to recuse himself from having anything to do with the climate section of the bill. And since he is the chair of the Senate uh, Energy Committee, question for Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, why didn't you strip Joe Manchin of his chair? He should not be chair of that committee. The conflict of interest is too strong. Joe Manchin should be stripped of his committee chairmanship, and he should be kicked off the committee altogether. Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema both should be stripped of all committee assignments, just like they did to Marjorie Taylor Greene in the House, and let them float around the halls of the Senate doing nothing. You want to neuter them? That's the way to do it. Just saying. And Manchin has a long-standing opposition to any sort of climate action because he has a conflict of interest. All right? There were financial records that were um, provided in gory detail that was reported by The Guardian, um, but also it was in a report that actually originated at the Center for Media and Democracy, and it was created by uh, the Center for Media and Democracy's reporter, Alex Koch. And it doc clearly documented that Manchin makes approximately half a million dollars every year just in dividends from the coal company stock he owns. Okay? And he says it's in a blind trust. I don't care. That That's not good enough. You know, in any professional endeavor, if there is something that looks like a conflict of interest, you are expected to either um, absolve yourself of that conflict of interest or remove yourself from the situation. It's done in law, or it's supposed to be done. But 
it's done a lot of other fields of endeavor. And, you know, this just shows, again, the systemic corruption in the U.S. government throughout. You know, and it still ties to that nonsense, that qualified immunity that politicians also enjoy. Except that it's not quite true. You know, politicians would have us believe that they enjoy total qualified immunity at all times. That's not true. They immune from criminal prosecution at a felony level. And that's where we can get them. Okay? Coal is one of the dirtiest, dirtiest fuels. Uh, here we have here <coughs> Joe Manchin, who basically gets his fortune from that, and he essentially holds veto power over U.S. climate policy. And the White House isn't really clamping down on them, but they should be. All right. Um, and once again, uh, you know, he was asked, Manchin was asked about the bipartisan infrastructure bill. Um, and he wants to, you know, delay a vote. And the bill contains billions in subsidies climate-harming programs like making hydrogen from methane. And Manchin was on CNN, and he asked, what's the urgency? What's the urgency? Where has he been? And according to this article, quote, the senator appears to have jettisoned outright climate denial in favor of its more presentable but no less lethal cousin climate delay, end quote. And you know, once again, we're heading to the COP26 UN Climate Summit in Glasgow. Um, Biden, you know, and his climate envoy, John Kerry, have been pushing other nations, especially China, to step up their commitments to cut emissions. But the fact is this, and again, this came from um, Earth Client. China, China's the number two major emitter. But the nation with the the most emissions, the most heavily polluting, is the United States. We have no right to demand concessions from China or anyone else if we're not going to do the same. Again, this deals with systemic corruption. The idea that it's not illegal for Joe Manchin to be on the to chair the Senate Energy Committee to write the climate bill, even though he owns millions of dollars of coal stocks. Okay, this is the problem. This is why we can't have accountable government because of systemic corruption. Systemic corruption that would send you or I to prison for a very long time. We have to change it. Okay, we just do. Okay, so let's move on, folks. Let's get to our, that's, that's the one story. Let's move to our segment, which I call, very aptly, Environmental Heroes, Zeros, and Villains. Now, we know that Chevron, we know the attorney, Stephen Donzinger, you know, he fought alongside indigenous peoples against Chevron because Chevron had dumped all sorts of carcinogens and poisoned the water in the Amazon. And... He was improperly charged 
with criminal six I think it was six counts of criminal contempt because in a previous um court uh proceeding the judge wanted the well actually the opposition wanted all his records computer, phone, so on and so forth. And Donzinger, being an attorney, rightfully claimed attorney-client privilege. Keep in mind also, since this happened in the Amazon, if these other people are identified, the fact is that we've had environmentalists murdered in that part of the world. And, you know, basically groups like Chevron, they hire, they, they, they basically hire um, contractors to do the dirty work for them. Not nothing new. So on the charges of criminal contempt, which it wasn't, he drew Judge Loretta Prescott, and she has a history of conflict of interest as well. So Chevron, you know, they basically lost their lawsuit, and Donziger got you know millions and millions of dollars for these uh, indigenous people, but. Chevron was determined to destroy this man. You know, he's a Donzinger is a human rights lawyer. He, the victory he won was a 9.5 billion. I'm sorry, not million billion. A 9.5 billion dollar judgment against Chevron uh, for pollution of the Amazon rainforest in Ecuador. Uh, Donzinger was sent home to pre pretrial home detention. Okay. For contempt of court by Judge Loretta Preska. She is a judge for the Southern District of New York. Uh, and her quote was that, quote, the only, only, the, uh, only the proverbial two by four between the eyes will instill in him any respect for the law, end quote. What world does this be live in anyway? Um, you have to understand the background behind this. Okay. So the first case was overseen by Judge Lewis A. Kaplan, okay? And Kaplan is, before he was a judge, he was a Chevron-invested former tobacco industry lawyer. Um, and as the judge in that case, he blocked the previous case, where he blocked the judgment against Chevron. And then he's the one that pushed the contempt, criminal contempt case against Donzinger, for, you know, doing his job. And, um, you know, Donziger went into court. Judge Preska denied his Donziger's request for a jury trial, which, again, very suspicious. All right? Judge Preska also barred Zoom access to the trial for the public. If you're legitimate, you don't need to hide stuff. But she constantly ruled against Donziger's legal team. She refused to hear from Donziger's lawyers about why he had drawn the contempt charge by refusing to turn over his laptop and phone, again, to protect attorney-client privilege, as Judge Preska knows. Now, this article that I'm reading from um, was written by Branko Marchetic, and it ran in a um, publication called Jacobin, okay? So <laughs> there's more about Judge Preska, okay? She has a history 
of conflicts of interest. Um, again, this is another form of systemic corruption. All right? It just is. Um, the idea that Donziger was charged with criminal contempt, seeing his client's interest, citing attorney-client privilege, one, is totally inappropriate. Um, the fact that Judge Preska refused a jury trial, barred Zoom access to the trial for the public. Again, not just inappropriate, it's looking more and more corrupt. And then she really couldn't have cared less. She was so contemptuous of Donzinger's attorneys. <clears throat> By now he was already disbarred yet, too. It's, according to this article, it said, quote, at one point she sat and read newspapers while presiding over the proceedings, end quote. Okay. Now, critics have also pointed to the fact that Loretta Preska holds a seat on the advisory board of the New York chapter of the Federalist Society, which is the right-wing judicial lobby, and guess who is a major donor to the Federalist Society? Chevron. That alone should have been enough to force Judge Preska to recuse herself from the case. But Judge Preska was handpicked by Judge Kaplan, who also had ties to Chevron. This isn't the first time, though. Preska has a constant conflict of interest. Now, she has been uh, paraded around as this feminist uh, hero. She's not. This woman, in my opinion, is so freaking corrupt, she makes Hillary Clinton look like a brownie scout. Okay? I don't totally have a problem with Hillary Clinton, but I know how some progressives feel about her. So we won't get into that. So back in 1995, after she had been approved for the court, she was she sat over a copyright case, and it involved the Twin Cities-based West Publishing Company, even though both she and her husband had connections to the firm. To put it bluntly, Preska's husband is a man named Thomas Cavalier. He's a, basically a 40-year veteran and a partner at a firm called Cahill, Gordon, and Rindell, which is a top corporate law firm. They specialize in, in international finance. It was uh, after she was, pre she was forced by one of the litigants to admit relationships with two West employees, including a lawyer who was considered key to the case that she recused herself from that case. Okay, There's more. Seventeen years later, uh, Judge Loretta Preska presided over the case of hacktivist Jeremy Hammond. Now, Hammond was under trial for hacking into various law enforcement agencies, private security firms, including Stratford. You remember Stratford, right? Okay, that Stratford um, basically uh, had as their, among their clients the Pentagon and Homeland Security. Now, the hacking group Anonymous pointed out that practically no, none of the media um, talked about this, except RT, Rolling Stone, and a few journalists like Chris Hedges that 
Prescott, once again, in a conflict of interest. This instance, it was that her husband, Mr. Cavalier, was one of the Stratford customers whose data had been hacked. And he, Prescott's husband would have been eligible for a payout from the multi-million dollar class action suit against the company if it resulted. Okay. Stratford is also the group that spied on Occupy Wall Street, which again is a movement direct, directly fighting Prescott's husband's client base, okay, including Merrill Lynch. Uh, and in spite of the conflict of interest, and in spite of the fact that she told senators at her confirmation hearing decades before that, quote, through my husband, I might be thought to have an indirect financial interest in the profits of the law firm of Cahill, Gordon, and Rindell, end quote. She refused to recuse herself from the case. In fact, Judge Press Lane saying that recusing herself would, quote, only encourage supporters of this defendant or other defendants to allege unsubstantiated conflicts of interest against any of my brothers and sisters of the court until no judge remained qualified to hear this case, end quote. What abject nonsense. Seriously. Litigants always have the right to point out when the judge or the prosecutor has a conflict of interest and demand that they recuse themselves. It's called fair play. It's called justice, something that the very concept of justice evades Judge Loretta Preska. So, again, very similar to what she did to Donzinger, Preska denied Hammond bail. He was left in federal prison for a year, and most of that year, Hammond was in solitary confinement which is considered torture. And then she sentenced him to the maximum of 10 years in prison for, and she cited, quote, a need for adequate public deterrence, end quote. Deterrence to what? Okay, this woman is out of control. Again, Prescott ruled on cases where um, one of the parties later became one of her husband's firm's clients. Okay. An example in this article was in 1993, she made a ruling that credit rating agencies have the same constitutional protections as newspapers. And that was exactly what Standard & Poor wanted to avoid disclosing records of meetings in a suit involving two airlines. Okay. And the idea of giving these credit rating agencies First Amendment protections became really clear 15 years later when three big ratings agencies, namely the Standard & Poor, including Standard & Poor, I'm sorry, aided and abetted, quote, the risky behavior of the investment banks that crashed the global economy, end quote. And then through the 2010s, Cahill Gordon, again, the law firm her husband is a partner in, represented Standard & Poor in several lawsuits, and an acquisition, quote, boasting of defending the company in matters relating to its rating of securities prior to the crash, end quote. Okay. And her husband, his corporate work really paid off. You know, Preska makes a six-figure salary, but Cahill Gordon's partners earn nearly $4 million a year. And that allowed the couple in 2014 to buy an 
by a three-bedroom penthouse on Manhattan's Upper East Side for a mere $8.7 million. Fresca is a Federalist Society judge. And based on the evidence, it's clear she's bought and paid for. Okay. Subsequently, there was no way Stephen Donziger was ever going to get a fair trial. What's not going to happen? And the fact, again, no jury and no Zoom, no witnesses, in other words. That wasn't a trial. That was a court star chamber, characteristic of the Spanish Inquisition. It was a disgrace. Anyway, we're going to move on here. I think I've made my point. So the Donziger case, once again, Judge Loretta Preska is doing the dirty work for Chevron. And Stephen Donziger is paying the price. So tonight, our environmental hero is obviously Stephen Donziger. God bless him. And our environmental villain is Judge Loretta Preska, who I hope one day is forced to face criminal charges of corruption, along with her husband. She deserves it. So that's tonight's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. You can download it. Um, We're going to be talking more about this stuff. So tonight I will just say good night and God bless.